Hey, here's Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast. Here on this channel, I talk about the methodology of achieving native-like fluency for advanced learners of English. If you're not a native speaker, just like myself, and if you're looking for ways to express yourself in the English language more freely, to communicate with more confidence, or to express your ideas in a more precise and compelling way, then you probably are already practicing the rhythm of English. Maybe you have heard something about pitch, melody, intonations, tone of voice, thought chunking, pausing. Maybe not. I'm going to explore this together with a guest of mine. And my guest is Jill Diamond. Jill is an accent coach and confidence communication expert. We're going to dive deep into the differences between pitch and volume. We're going to talk about the shape of English vowels. We're going to talk about clarity, public speaking skills, precision, being concise, being articulate, and we're going to talk about confidence and confidence again when it comes to communicating your ideas in a foreign language. Stay tuned. I'm going to ask Jill a lot of interesting questions that I needed answers to in the first place, and I hope my listeners need answers to those questions as well. There's going to be a lot of practical advice and a lot of practical exercises. Jill will also let you know where exactly you can go to practice all those skills, so stay tuned. And if you want to watch a video, of our conversation with Jill, go to my YouTube channel. It's available there. Hi guys, I'm Natalia and welcome to another episode of my podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Jill Diamond. Welcome to the show, Jill. I'm so happy you joined. Yes, thank going? you for having me. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We've had a lot of rain here in Brazil where I am right now. And uh, so that's not always pleasant, but you know, life goes on and here we are. And it's a wonderful day to be here with you. Jill is in Brazil and it's raining over here. I'm in Moscow and it's snowing a lot. We got a lot of snowstorms and it's, it's a very snowy winter. And uh-huh. we got together on this call to talk about confidence, communication confidence in the English language, accent, and more about confidence. <laughs> Jill is English communication confidence coach. And I'm very happy to have this conversation with you since I've taken lessons with you. I've taken your program. I've learned a lot from you. And I think you have so much to say and share with people who are working on improving their communication skills in English, with people who are working to deliberately improve their English skills. And a lot of people are working on their own. They want to work independently. And I find that not everybody understands what strategies they can apply and what strategies will work and what strategies will not work for them and why Mm -hmm. some things work and some things don't. Why don't you start off by telling us your story? Because I know your story starts with acting and now you do communication confidence coaching. How did this Yes, sure. Well, I was the unconventional child who was passionate about performance. I spent a lot of time from a young age. I studied acting. I studied singing. I was in competitions uh, throughout high school. And when I went to college, I my parents said, listen, we're going to send you to college, but you have to get a degree in something where you can have a career. And I said, okay. And the first couple of years, 
I jumped in and I was studying communication skills, interestingly enough, alongside acting. And then I dropped out of college. I said, I don't want to do this. I want to move to Los Angeles. I want to be an actress. Uh, Where did you move to Los Angeles from? From, uh, I lived in the New York area. All right. I lived in a state called Connecticut, which was about an hour from New York City. And I went to school in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then I, I left. I, I went out to California. And then I had about a seven-year period, Natalia, where I was living in California. I was living in New York. I was back in California. I was back in New York. And I eventually, alongside continuing with my acting career, I started uh, a singer-songwriter career. And then I eventually got my master's. I got my finally got my bachelor's degree. And then I got my master's degree in education, where I learned how to turn my passion for the arts into curriculums. I, I got a master's in education with a focus on creative arts. And that's where I learned techniques for theater and music. And when I wrote my thesis, I I got a job working at a Japanese college outside of Boston. And I started teaching English, ESL, to Japanese young adults. They were 18, 19 years old. And they, they were so shy. If you know much about the Japanese, they usually understand the language, they can read it, they can write it. But to speak it, it's like to say hello is embarrassing for them. So so that's where I got started with my career. Uh, and then I started teaching them songs and I started doing dramas with them. And they came out of their shell. And once I finished my career, my, my uh, degree, I started my career teaching English through music and drama. And I soon learned that most professors at the universities didn't like to teach pronunciation. And they didn't like to teach pronunciation for a couple of reasons. This came to my, my understanding. One, they didn't know how. And two, it was boring. And boring to right them? For them? Well, boring for them, because back then, we're talking many years ago, the focus was on pronunciation drills. Now, I don't know, do you do you do much in the area of pronunciation drills? Well, I also got my I also have a teaching degree. And when we did that, yeah, we had to do pronunciation drills. I just don't remember that it ever it was ever too difficult for me. But we did a lot of drills. That's true. And I also didn't think that it's something special. You know, now I see a lot of accent coaches and accent reduction coaches and people who are really focused on teaching phonetics and they can they do a great job. We didn't do anything like that back then yeah. <laughs> as a student. And, and, and so when I yeah, and pronunciation drills, phonetic drills, all of that. The, the reason that, it, that it's so difficult is the brain of a native speaker of any language needs to hear the rhythm of their language. And the sounds, which is, and that's where the pronunciation drills and the phonetics comes in, are secondary to the brain. And a native speaker can correct a sound mm-hmm. more quickly than it can a rhythm. And this is where I slowly learned that, hey, I like teaching accent because it's about the music of the language. That's why I actually signed up for your program. And that's something that we didn't learn at all. Even qualified English teachers today, let's say in the country where I'm from, in Russia, they don't learn that either. How do you teach the rhythm of English? 
and how do you even understand the rhythm of English? So pronunciation drills are boring, in my opinion, because well, it's a very finite process. You've mastered your vowels. That's it. What else can you do about it, right? You've mastered the diphthongs and that's it. What else can you do about it? There is no way to be creative, to listen mm -hmm. and to understand how you can play with this rhythm, how you can recognize it. And that's that's a big problem with many non-native speakers. They just don't, many students of mine say that they didn't even know that English has rhythm. So it's a completely alien idea to them. Well, so first of all, every language has a rhythm. And so what is rhythm, right? Uh, when I think about rhythm, if you think about instruments mm -hmm. and you think about, let's just take two instruments, a piano and a drum, the drums. And yes, a drum can have some musical or intonation changes. However, the drum tends to be percussive and it's rhythmic. It sets the you know the the how long are each note? How right? So there's the rhythm has to do with the length of the notes. Exactly. Right. Whereas to go to the piano, you have the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You have notes that change, and that's where you get the melody that sits on top of the rhythm. Right. So when we talk about rhythm in the English language, we have to consider the length of every stressed syllable. Is that right? So, so the rhythm of English is that there is syllable contrast, whereas other languages, perhaps this is true of Russian, it's more equal. That's stress. Okay. So, so English is a uh, stress-timed language, so that means that there's a contrast. Russian is a syllable stress no, language. No, that's, that's not true. Russian and German and English, all of them are stress. Oh, so there language. you go. So there you however, go. However, the contrast is not that big in Russian. Okay. But, but if it's the same as German and English, then it should be easier for Russian students speaking English to at least understand. Because if you take, for example, Korean, or if you take uh, even Spanish, you get that, you get more of an equal sound. And that equal sound is difficult for a native English speaker to understand. Yeah, I get it. I think part of the problem why it is difficult for many non-native speakers, even for German-speaking students or Russian-speaking students, is that it's your first language, it's your native language. You never even think about things like that. You don't think about the Russian language in terms of, oh, it's a stress time length. Yeah, somebody tells you, well, we have stressed syllables and they sound longer. And you think about it, yeah, that's correct. But you never actually analyze your first language. No, you don't. You don't need to. Yeah, you, you don't, don't need, need to. to. Exactly. Probably that's why. <laughs> you know, you, you, you learn the rhythm, the melody, and the sounds of the language while you're in the womb. Exactly. Before you're even born, all of those sounds become familiar to you in anything, even if it's people who live two hours away from where you grow up. Anybody who doesn't sound like you is a kind of foreigner, if you will, when it comes to the sound of the language, linguistically speaking. So you're saying that it's about the length of every stress syllable. Every stress syllable has a vowel. And it's about the melody. Do you mean the, the change in pitch? What do you mean by yes. melody? Most teachers of, of accent talk about intonation and they talk about pitch. Those two terms are interchangeable. And I started talking about intonation and pitch as melody, which is for me, they're all the same thing. 
So if you talk about the intonation of a sentence, for example, certain the statements, they have a, a step up and a glide down in melody or intonation at the end, whereas let's say a closed question, uh, is she, will we, have we, did you, any of those types of questions, they go up at the end, they stay up at the end, so they glide up at the end. So, so there are intonation patterns or pitch patterns or, or melodic patterns to sentences, uh, all types of uh, sentences, statements and questions have different patterns. And then we also use melody with regards to syllable stress and word stress. So you mean to say that melody, intonation, and pitch, when you talk about it, is all the same thing, right? Correct. How about the tone of voice? How about those situations when we can say the same sentence, meaning very different things? We can be mean, we can be sarcastic, we can be happy, we can be joyful. Yes. Yeah, right. Isn't that so intonation? Or? Yeah, well, so... Uh, Tone of voice and intonation to me, I teach them as two different things. Okay. Uh, tone of voice is about your attitude. And you gave great examples. You might be sarcastic. You might be sincere. Now, uh, intonation is that movement of pitch that happens. It happens when we have certain attitudes as well. So, for example, if I am being sarcastic or sincere, for example, if you say for me, um, say for me, you look nice in a in a sincere way. Please tell me I look nice uh, in a sincere. <laughs> you look sincere, nice in a sincere. Yeah, it's, do it again in a, in a sincere way. You look nice today. Good. And now say it in a sarcastic way. Well, you look nice. <laughs> did you did did you notice how your pitch went down? Yes, you yeah. look nice. Yeah. So so intonation or pitch or melody changes depending on our attitudes. Mm -hmm. And when we ask a question, just a normal question, do you have a pet? We go up, right? It's a yes or no question. That's intonation. Yes or no question goes up. That's intonation. And that's it's also melody. pitch. It's also melody. I refer to them in the same way. Do you find that melody differs from accent to accent? Let's say I know that do you have a cat or do you have a pet would sound probably different in British English and American English. Is the melody different across accents? Yes. Yes, it is. So even, for example, in the south of the United States versus, uh, you know, the northeast or the west coast. For example, on the west coast, something that became very, very popularized is the rising intonation on statements. Up talk, right? Up talk. Up talk. Exactly. And it became very popular uh, among surfers and it, it really comes from the West Coast. And today, if you talk to a 20 year old, a 30 year old and maybe even a 40 year old um, in the United States, this is the way they speak. So that every phrase that they say goes up in pitch and it's completely acceptable. I know that many accent coaches correct that speaking behavior. Does it sound unprofessional to you when people do a lot of app talk? Yeah, so that 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 brings me to uh, generational differences, okay? And so what I tell my clients, especially if they are 30, 20, or in their young 40s, as I say, listen, you have to scan the room and see who you're talking to. Are these people 50 or 60 years old? Because if they are, they're going to expect 
that the authority in your voice comes when you bring that pitch down. Okay. So, but if you're talking to your colleagues and they're 30 years old, you better talk like them. So that's something called code switching, which, you know, right. Your ability to be able to change the way you speak, depending on what result you want. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I also find that many Russian native speakers tend to go up at the end of every statement especially when they deliver presentations. So when you deliver a presentation, when you need to explain a complex idea, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go up at the end of every statement. You want to land the plane and end your sentences in a more assertive way. Yes, I I agree. I mean, that's how I teach. You know, I, I, I tell people, even if it's culturally acceptable in some circles to speak with that up talk, I think you're going to have to be more persuasive. You're going to show off your authority, your leadership skills when you bring that pitch down or land the plane, like you said. I'm happy that we clarified the difference or that the, there is no difference between melody and intonation because when I first saw the term melody, I was like, what, what is that even? <laughs> and uh, if we think about it as intonation, that is inherent to certain sense types of sentences and there are only five right and it's pretty yes. easy to understand what melody and what intonation patterns you should use here and there and they are really different across accents yes yes and i also want to add that it's easy to understand but it's hard to do and part of that and correct me if i'm wrong or if you have a different experience of this but i speak portuguese as a second language and part of what we all do in our second language is we often feel doubt. We might feel doubt about a vocabulary word or our grammar, or maybe the audience makes us nervous. And when that happens, we tend to rise our tone instead of land the plane. Okay. true. Uh, it, It does sound like you're not sure about the thing you want to talk about when you go up it sounds like either you're not done talking or you're not sure or you're asking a question. Yes. Yes. And you just hit on something really brilliant as well, which is a good technique. And that is if you want to hold the floor, you want to you want to make sure that people know you're not done. You want that intonation to yeah. go up, not necessarily at the end of the sentence. OK, but again, if you feel like someone's about to jump in, you want to bring your pitch up because when you do that person's going to give you an extra instant to keep speaking. Yeah. Just to see if what you have to say is valuable, you know? Yeah. You can go up at the end of one thought, Sean. You can go, and which can be one word. You can say, look, and then hold it. And there we go, right? That's right. That's right. And people are, oh, what is she going to say next? (laughs) What is she going to say? Exactly. How about we talk about pitch as well? Because to understand the rhythm of language, of English, I feel that non-native speakers really need to grasp these concepts. And I can tell from my personal experience as a non-native speaker, I really had to learn about these things that, that do not exist in the Russian language. Uh, rhythm, well, what what is the English rhythm? But pitch, we don't have pitch. Melody, volume, intonation, tone. Well, we have it, but it sounds different in English. Yeah, yeah. But pitch is a very alien concept to many non-native speakers. I can say for, for Russian native speakers, it's totally alien. What does it mean? Many confuse it with volume. So they think when you have to go up in pitch, we have to you have to raise your pitch. Many people raise the volume, which yes. is not the same. That's right. 
That's right. Those are different things. Uh, so, so you want me to talk a little bit about pitch? Yeah. Yeah. What, what is pitch? Can you explain pitch or how do you explain pitch to you? Well, I guess one of the, if I did need, if I did need to say, Hey, let's talk about the difference between pitch or intonation. I might talk about it this way. Do you know what a musical key is like the, the key of C, for example? Um, it's funny that in English, the, the notes go like A, B, C, right? And in Russian, uh, well, well, they, yeah. they are different. So I'm not sure what C is. Um, well, so for example, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, yeah, ti, we do, know that, right? We know okay. that. I know okay. do, re, mi, fa, sol. Yeah. So let's just say do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do is a key, right? Oh, it's right. a key. Okay. It's a, oh, it, you know, it's a scale. It's a, sorry, let me back up. It's a scale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. That is a scale. And it's, you've got eight notes. Right. Okay. There are eight notes in a scale. However, we have different keys. So for example, you have the key of C, which is the C major is the major key. If you're learning an instrument, you always start with the key of C because it's the easiest uh, to play all the white keys on the piano, for example, example. However, there are different keys. And we all speak in different keys. Our, some people's voices are higher naturally. So my do might start higher than his do, right? That first note starts in a different place. And so maybe one way to think about pitch is where is your scale? You know, like where does your do start? Does it start low or does it start a little higher? Maybe it starts here. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's a little higher. I heard some people call it the baseline. Like, where is your baseline? That's fine. That's fine. And that's that's the tonic. We call it in music. The tonic note is your baseline. The tonic note. We always come back to C. Again, if we're talking about C major, we're talking, we come back to the tonic note, we come back to the one, we come back to the do, we come back to the bass line. Can we say that when people speak without paying attention to how they speak and in a very monotonous way, they speak like at a, at a C? Okay, good. So that's a very good question. Monotone, you would think mono means one, but in reality, nobody speaks on one note. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a robot can do that, but monotone is generally somebody who speaks between two and three notes, two and three notes, maybe four. So even okay? if that's somebody, monotone. You mean even if somebody is very monotone, they still change their pitch. Correct. Even, and that's why when we talk about, you say Russian, well, we don't really, it's not, not the same thing, the melody or the intonation or, but guaranteed you're not speaking on one note. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. We don't speak. Yeah. On one note. That's true. No, no, but, but a, a, somebody in English who's considered to be an, a, 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 a great public speaker will use as many as eight. They will reach for those higher notes when they really want to make a point. I think the the difference is that it doesn't affect um, your communication style and the rhythm of Russian as much as it 
affects the English rhythm. I know that American accent is highly influenced by pitch, and there are certain pitch patterns that you guys follow. For example, I like it. Let's do it, right? So uh -huh, uh -huh. patterns. And if you don't follow those patterns, you sound weird. And I think, yeah, or you just don't sound enthusiastic or die. I mean, there are plenty of boring speakers in English with That's English true. as a native language, like boring as could be. And and I and I work with native English speakers as well, and I try to bring help them find the variety in their voice. So, what is pitch then? Is it an essential element of the English rhythm, or is it something optional, something you can use? It's not rhythm, right? Pitch is not rhythm. Isn't that the element of the English rhythm? Not to my knowledge, pitch. Mm -hmm. we, we we clarified earlier that pitch, intonation, and melody can be interchangeably used when we talk about the 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 movement of the tones. All right, I the see the movement of the notes. But the rhythm specifically is about the length of a syllable. The rhythm, the schwa sound is that short sound, yeah. and then we get that stressed sound. So just to clarify. When we talk about rhythm and we talk about lengthening a syllable, we do three things on that syllable. Do you remember what those are from my course? We do three things. Put you on the, put you on the spot. Yeah. What do we do when we lengthen a syllable? We uh, raise the volume. So the stressed syllable is always louder. It's always okay. longer. And it's yes. Higher. So bingo. Yay. Yes. <laughs> So, 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 so there are three things associated with rhythm. And what you just told your audience is that one of the things that happens rhythmically is that the melody changes on top of the length of that syllable. That's true. And the pitch changes as well. It naturally goes up when we stress. The pitch is the same as the melody, right? Let's, oh, that's let's, that, that's, see, that's keep, the way I That's the way I teach. That's the way I teach. Pitch, intonation, and melody are interchangeable. So then we can't really say that pitch is something optional, that you can learn to sound more expressive and not boring. It's an essential thing, right? Well, it's optional if you, if you don't care about your communication or you're not trying to sell anything, you're not trying to be influential, it's optional. It's optional, right. pitch is optional, <laughs> but, but it's not, I mean, you know, if you care about communication, why would you want to not have a speaking tool in your toolbox? Let me ask you something about pitch. Um, if this is, if, if I understand correctly, usually every last word in a sentence or in a thought chunk is higher in pitch, every last content word. Let's do it today. And then when it's stressed or when it's higher in pitch, it should be higher in pitch. If the last word is stressed, it's supposed to be higher in pitch. However, we have just said that when you finish your sentence, you're supposed to go down. That's right. So isn't there a contradiction between your pitch needs to go up at the end of the sentence at the same time you want to go down? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how about we go up and then down? Oh, can you demonstrate, please? Yeah. So for example, uh, what was your sample sentence? We ended in the word today. Let's meet today or let's do it today. Okay. okay. Um, so let's do it today. Let's do it today. So what happens is we step up on the stress syllable of that content word today, which is the day today. I step up. Now, when I step, I skip over some of those notes that do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. I skip mm -hmm. and I grab a note that's a little higher 
And then I glide back down to resolve because it's a statement. I want to bring my voice back down. So I glide back down through the notes. I'll say it again. Yeah. Um, let's let's do it today. Oh, you actually do it in one word. I guess it's people hear that you go up, but many people don't hear that moment when you go down. They don't hear That's it. correct. Up. That's, that's when, right. when did you go down? I, I missed that. I, I didn't notice. No, I, I spend a lot of time in this module called Sing Your Speech, which is all about the melody and intonation. And it's absolutely correct. People do not hear it. They go, what's happening? What's happening? And so you have to kind of slow it down. Speaking in slow motion is a great technique, not just for getting the, the melody, but also the rhythm. Mm. Right. So I always like to encourage people to consider practicing in slow motion and watching uh, videos in slow motion as well. Yes. And yeah. also another technique that helps with melody, with hearing that let's do it today is speaking at a lower volume. Because when we speak too loudly, we are, there's all this vibration going on. We can't hear anything. Would you say the same sentence without going down on the last? Sure. Um, let's do it today. Oh, then it doesn't sound as a complete sentence. I see. It sounds like a question. You want to do it yeah, today? Exactly. It sounds like a, not like a, a positive statement. It sounds statement. Like, Correct. It sounds like a question or like you're yes. not sure today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Thank you very much for explaining that. Yeah. I, people ask this a lot. Like you say, we have to go up. We have to, the, the last word should be higher in pitch, but how can I do both at the same time? Go up and go down. <laughs> you go really up, hard. you go down, you go up and, and you, again, you step, you have to skip so that you call attention to the fact that this word matters and the syllable matters, but then you glide down, which means you move through the notes coming down. I have another question for you. You were just teaching me about the musical notes. I don't play any musical instrument. And honestly, I don't enjoy any lessons that involve singing. No, I'm not going to do this <laughs> at all. And you just mentioned that you t you used to teach English uh, through creative arts and you, you teach using music, you sing, you enjoy singing yourself. Have you ever heard students who just refuse to do that or who don't understand why they need to do that they just don't like to sing and is can they get it can they follow your method if they don't like to sing because i I'm, think I'm it, that student yeah well i mean we can come back and ask you what your experience was in the program in especially in module five uh actually let me just ask you did you do any of those exercises the one two three four five six seven eight or the one two three four so you didn't even do it no. okay so that that's good that's good to know so look Every once in a while, I get a client who says right away, I'm not musical. And they want to make it clear from the beginning that they're not musical. And I say, that's okay. You don't need to be musical. I said, however, can you imagine yourself or if you have a child, let's say a one or two-year-old child, can you hear them or can you remember what it was like learning to use your voice? 
and all the ways that you would play with your voice and ha 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 ha, you know, and all the noises that you could make with your voice or you were just, and you would just imitate like crazy. So sometimes what we do is we say, okay, so forget about singing. Can we talk about that child who's discovering their voice? Can we consider that you're going to rediscover your voice if we're just going to play with our voice? Would you be willing to do that with me? In the way that you just showed it to me? Yeah, just like right now. Like, would you be willing to talk a little funny and play with your voice, just imagining that you're a child? If I had to read to a child, I would absolutely do that. Oh, okay. If so I were then the play with a child, yes, I, I do that when I play with children, when I read to children, I make funny ah, voices. Okay. I do that in a real situation. I enjoy doing that. If I like a song, I will sing it to make sure that nobody listens, right? <laughs> nobody can hear me. I will do that as well. But I, I don't like to use that tool to practice my language because I don't know, in my mind, these things are not connected. And I just, maybe I don't like to embarrass myself, but I just don't, it's not my thing. Let me make the connection for your audience and for you, hopefully, okay? So one, I'll just start by saying that, so when I come across someone like yourself who says, oh yeah, I'll read a book like that to my kid or I'll play, I say, good, do more of it. That's your homework. Yeah. Okay, so, so in other words, we find the place where the person is comfortable. And then let me connect this back to the real world. So when we're afraid of something, we have to look at that and we have to say to ourselves, there might be something there. Mm -hmm. There might be something there, right? I mean, I'm afraid of it for a reason. So let me see if I can kind of deconstruct that, uh, my anxiety around it. You know, will, will I be perceived as, as uh, strange? Well, here's the good news. Any exaggeration, any play that we do with our children or reading a book or, you know, or as you said, you're not so ready to do that in your practice. However, when you do, we say, let's separate the practice from the real world. Mm -hmm. Because your practice is not the real world. It's like saying to an actor, well, we're going to go on stage, but we're not going to rehearse. Okay, well, we're going to rehearse, but we're not going to warm up. So, or even a dancer, that's even more important. How does the dancer go to the rehearsal without stretching first? You can be sure they're going to hurt themselves. So there's a series of events that have to happen before performance. So call your performance a formal presentation or just a conversation, a sales call, a meeting that you're leading, whatever it is. First, you have to warm up your voice. Second, you wanna practice your content and practice using your voice out loud. Yeah, and then you wanna show up. So I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is if you could find a way to play with your voice just a little bit more uh, in your practice, you're gonna be, be surprised how it shows up in the real world. And you want it to show up in the real world. I think probably the strategy I've found for myself that works, I read a lot out loud. And recently I started reading children's books out loud. Yeah. That works for me. And I know many of my students enjoy singing. So I direct them to videos and materials where they have to sing and I say, go for it. You love it. You do it. I just, I will not sing with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Because I can't teach that and I'm terrible at it. So I don't want you to learn from me. Go and learn from people who can do it better than me. But yeah, learn, reading children's books is something that I enjoy a lot. Good. So you want to take that to the ultimate level of self-expression. I see. Exaggeration always works 
exaggeration is always helpful when you learn to be expressive in a foreign language, especially. Yes, yes, because you're not going to go to that distance in the real world. That's true. You're not. <laughs> but yeah. you're learning yeah. how far you can go. That's that's right. That's right. That is possible. And that when you need it, it's like if you're crossing the street and you, it seems like somebody's about to get hit by a car, you're not going to say, be careful. You're going to say, be careful. You're going to you're going to use your voice. That's true. You're not going to whisper. You're going to yell. You're going to scream. You're going to yell. Yeah. Okay. We started talking about acting. You have professional experience. You know so much about it. How helpful do you think it is to tell students or people who are getting ready to present in a foreign language? How useful is it to tell them, well, just act as if, fake it until you make it, try to act mm -hmm. it. Do you mm -hmm. do that in your practice? Um, do I do I ask people to to act to ex to, to act. act confidence? Let's clarify. So, because people, the, the primary problem, they don't feel okay. confident. Do you ask them to, or do you use those strategies where they have to act confident, as if? Well, this is yeah, this is this is interesting because uh, it goes back to different acting uh, me methods. All right, some people act from the outside in, which is just fake it, just just act. Okay. Other people learn, let's say, the method uh, technique of acting, which is from the inside out. So I prefer to. So, so there's a, there's a approach to acting called method acting and method acting is where you have to remember a time and go to that experience and feel that experience. You might have to do some exercises that, that take you back there, whether it's a visualization or something that takes you to that moment of sadness, you know, and, and, and so you don't act it or you don't act as if you actually, you actually re-experience it. Okay, so for me, my acting technique always came from re-experiencing, reviving moments in my life of joy or anger or, or something that could really have me feel that again, not act that or pretend that. So why am I saying this? Because that's why I do meditation and vocal visualization sessions with my clients, because if we could get you to imagine and visualize confidence somewhere here, so it's not, it's not just your imagination, it's tapping into real moments of confidence when so you really you saying, felt that. Are you saying that you, people or students re-experience confidence they once felt in a different situation. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So if we know what it feels like, how do you breathe when you're confident? How do you sit when you're confident? What do you do with your eyes when you're confident? How do you speak when you're really confident? So these types of things, we have to understand what confidence feels like and what it looks like and what it sounds like. What if a person has zero experience feeling confident in front of an audience and especially when they have to present in a foreign language in front of an audience. Right. Well, as I said, we have to tap into, so where, where do you feel confident? Are you a runner? Do you feel confident when you run for a mile? Are you a parent? Do you feel confident as a mother? You know, we have to tap into the things so that again, confidence is confidence. Getting it to show up in an unfamiliar place is a different thing. We have to, we have, you know, how do we get it to show up there? So that's why, you know, when I coach, I do accent training, but I do English communication coaching. I tap into confidence, 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 confidence. That's 
I've been teaching for more than 20 years, uh, probably more than 25. <laughs> and, uh, and, and over the years, when I say to my students, so what did you learn? You know, where are you today? The number one thing that people show up saying is, I just feel more confident about my English. I don't know if I speak differently necessarily, but I just feel differently. And that, Natalia, is key to showing up for our communication in English, is how you feel about yourself. That's true, how you feel about yourself. Let me share something that I do and I use. I would love to hear your opinion on that. I fundamentally believe that confidence comes from competence. If you have done it a million times, there is no problem. You can do it one more time, seriously. And most people don't feel confident simply because they have little or zero experience. They have never done it before. And if they did it once, and if they recorded themselves once, they delete that video immediately. That's not me. I hate looking at that. I don't like my voice. I just, that's not me. And they don't want to repeat that experience. They don't want to get upset. Yeah, maybe... Yeah, that definitely works. And I agree with you. If you know how to feel confident, you just have to take it to an unfamiliar place and learn to apply it there. However, I also believe that you need to start gaining that experience in this unfamiliar area so that you feel competent. And when you realize that you're competent, confidence comes very naturally because you did it many times, you know how to do it, and you can repeat that experience again, no problem. Yeah. That's right. I love where you're going with this. I 100% agree. It's your competence that can help you feel confident. And so then the question is, so then how do I do that if I record myself and I delete it immediately and I say, that's not me. So we get a coach who says, listen, that is you. And let me explain something to you. When we speak, we have a lot of vibrations in in the bones in our head, right? So when we listen to ourselves speaking, we sound completely different than we do to everybody who hears us and even to those recordings when we're listening back to ourselves. So if you want to build your competence in your public speaking in English and you want to feel confident, you need to listen to yourself until you become familiar with that sound, because that is you. That is a prerequisite because you just want to be comfortable with yourself. This is me. What This is what I look like. This is what I sound like. People see and hear me every day. It's just me who doesn't want to look at that. But everybody right. else That's already right. sees me that way. It's, That's it's right. really about getting comfortable with yourself. When and, people- and I do want to just add something. I want to go back to the about acting. So actors obviously are faced with this all the time. They have to watch different clips. They have to watch the movies. They have to watch the, everything that they do. And they become so hyper aware of themselves. Now, they may not like certain elements of themselves that's normal we don't like Mm -hmm. everything about ourselves all the time however it's that it's the awareness it's the attunement of of just knowing hey that that's me and then and then being able to say maybe i don't like that but look i'm going to put on that mask right i'm acting right uh this is this is that part of me and i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna be that part of myself That's good that you brought out the mask. Do you think people need to do that? Like people need to put on a mask of confidence when they speak to their team, let's say, or to the members of the board? Or can you do it from a place of, I'm just, I'm having a conversation and it's me, not me wearing a mask. 
Yeah, again, I think uh, it's important to clarify that the mask is is me. What do you mean by that? So what I mean is, uh, if I if I wear makeup or I don't wear makeup, I'm I'm me, right? Okay. If I wear a purple shirt or a black shirt, I'm I'm me. So what it, it's about becoming aware of the different me's, and it, it's kind of like code switching, where we talked about, you know, if I'm from, uh, if, if I. For example, as a Portuguese speaker, if I'm in Rio de Janeiro, I need to wear the mask, call it a mask, of one accent. If I'm in Sao Paulo, I need to speak differently, right? So that's code switching, and I'm perfectly okay doing that. But the same thing is true just in general with, with confidence. So it goes back to try to build the confidence skill from the inside out through various various methods, but then, you know, just put on the confidence mask. Here I am doing the best I can, being as confident as I can, but it's me, it's me, it's me, it's, it's me everywhere, it's me. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because I know for many people, it's very easy to fake confidence, especially in front of the camera because they've done it so many times. Again, it's easy for them to fake confidence, but they feel very insecure inside. And I think we need to it's a we need to strike a balance here. If you really feel confident and you show up confident um, without feeling insecure while showing your confidence to the audience, it's it's a very it's a lot of work. Honestly. I think personally that people who are insecure internally when they go to communicate, I believe that it shows up in our yes. voice. Okay. So it shows up with the up talk. It shows up with the ums and ahs. It shows up with the lack of pausing. It shows up, you know, it shows up. Uh, so in other words, uh, Albert Meharabian was a professor from Clark University. And in 1967, he did a study. And he wanted to see when a person says one thing, mm -hmm. but feels something else, what what shows up? What do people hear first? Do they hear the language, the, the, the message? Do they hear the voice or do they hear the or do they see the body language? And I don't know if you're familiar with this study, but 55% of the message shows up in our nonverbal when we say one thing, but we feel something else. And 38% is the voice and 7% is the actual words. What you just said, it still shows in your voice, in your filler words. I think it shows in the eyes in the first place. When you look at yeah. a person, you see it. Even if they use zero filler words and they tell you the message that they have told other people a million times, you still can see it in their eyes. Like they're bored story telling again. the story again. <laughs> right, right. So then the question becomes, can you fake it? You can fake it for a time, but hopefully that faking it is a goal to become it. And that's something that Amy Cuddy says, uh, another amazing person who studies presence. Uh, she's a social scientist, Amy Cuddy. And she says, don't fake it until you make it, fake it until you become it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched her TED talk. That's true. Yeah. She yeah. says that. Um, was something else I wanted to ask you. Who are those people who need your services? Who are the people that you work with? Because you work with mostly with non-native speakers and native speakers, you said. The non-native speakers who come to you, what are they looking to improve? Sometimes they come to me, they don't know exactly what's missing. 
right? Mm. They say I'm an advanced speaker of English. I live in an English speaking country or I work for a multinational where we use English every day. And I don't know what it is, but I can't get the promotion that I want. Or people ask me to repeat myself all the time. And I'm just not sure, but I think I need some English classes. And then I say, well, you don't need English classes. You need to build your communication confidence and competence. Let's write put competence and competence next to each other. And so generally, in some cases, the organization sends them to me. They say, hey, we have this person we want to promote, but we don't see them as a leader yet. We want to put them in a leadership role. And, and that's where I know it's about their vocal presence. They're not pausing. They're not emphasizing. They're, you, those, the things, some of the things, by the way, that are easier to do, because we go back to this conversation about uh, phonetics. It's not easy to change the shape of a vowel, but it's easy to learn how to pause. That's true. These people are probably not aware of how they sound, both in English and in their first language. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They, 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 they just were not trained. That's it. They were not. Yeah. They maybe they were. They, they studied English, but they didn't study presentation skills, communication skills, vocal techniques. These, this is all new to them. They, oh my gosh, I never thought about English this way. So because we're not learning English, we're learning how to communicate in English. I know. Yeah, it's really painful to learn to be aware of how you sound, of how you look. It's a very painful experience. And coming back to this competence, you know, what do you do with a person who hates looking at themselves, who hates listening to their own recordings? Because that was my experience when I started putting uh, up YouTube, YouTube videos. I needed 45 iterations just to say hello. And I hated to look at the camera image. I just had to do it all over again. It was five or six years ago. I just I just couldn't even begin. And then mm. I asked myself, okay, let's think, let, let's take driving or any other serious skill. How long did it take me to become competent? Why do I expect it to happen now? <laughs> if driving took me so many months of work and, yeah. and even when you get your driver's license, you, you, your driver's license, you still feel very insecure. You're still, right. you still don't know what you're really doing. Uh huh. Right behind the wheel. I think that's interesting because if you think about uh, driving and communicating, driving it's almost like something outside of yourself. That's true. Right. You walk over to the car, you unlock it, you get inside, you sit down, you turn it on. It's like separate from you. But communicating speaking and the the how we look and the words we say so personal very personal so i think that it's that it's 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 the self-judgment that we make about ourselves every day you know whether we don't look a certain way or our hair is not right or our clothes not right or i'm giving this presentation but i oh my gosh, I know my stuff, but when it comes to these people, they're going to judge me, right? There's all of these things that get in the way. Whereas with driving, it's just a matter of time. But I think you're right that it's also just a matter of time with our YouTube videos. How are you, how are you today when it comes to that? I just remind myself of the fact that when I learn something new, usually the first 200 times, it's ugly, messy, and just not correct. <laughs> That's why I ask myself, has it been 200 times already? No, keep going. 
But listen to that. You just said 200 times. Now, whether that's a random number or that's just your number, th that's commitment. That's dedication. And half of the battle uh, with getting your English and your confidence to that level is making the commitment. And not everybody does it. Yeah. And it's understanding that it's going to take time. And why 200 times? Because people expect it to be 5, 10, okay, 15. <laughs> But not a hundred and not two hundred. It takes but a master. If you want to be a master, yeah, sure, two hundred, a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand times. I mean, look at the masters. Whether you look at a Tony Robbins, who's like the you know the coach of all coaches, or you look at an Oprah Winfrey, or you look at uh, you know who was a Nelson Mandela. You know, you look at these people. You know, they didn't do it two hundred times. They did it twenty million times you know they, do, they, they did it many more and, and, and that's that's really where it comes back to who do i work with the people who have the most success are the people who understand why this matters not just that i want to do it or my company wants me to improve my communication skills but why does it matter to you that's important i realize that it's easy to read people and to understand people it's, it's enough to listen to them and to have a conversation with them and most people don't realize that your communication style reflects your thinking process and says a lot about you as a personality can you say like you're a communication coach you're an excellent training expert can you read people easily now when you've been doing communication training for so long yeah. What do you mean by read? Do you mean like, oh, what kind of learner this is going to be? Or what do you, what do you well, mean by can people, I read I mean, that? Understanding more about their character, understanding their intentions, understanding their motivation, understanding, yeah, what kind of, what kind of learner is in front of you? Are they actually going to commit or just they're saying yeah, that they are going to commit? Yeah, you can tell, you can tell pretty, pretty soon on, uh, I, I guess here's something I've learned that's interesting. You know, when you're when you first are a teacher, it's scary, you know, especially when you come up across the skeptic. Let's just take the skeptic. Okay. You come up against the skeptic and they're scary because they challenge you. They're not afraid to challenge you and kind of kick you off your game, you know. Uh, and, in, and and when you first are a teacher, those those people are are the hardest to work with because you want their approval. You want them to believe that you're good at what you do. Now, what I've learned about the skeptic, and now after 25 years, why I'm not afraid of the skeptic, is because they turn out to be my biggest fan. Because if you can, if you can turn the skeptic, I mean, they're going to talk about you. They're going to tell you, tell others how amazing you are. So, so that's just one example of, you know, you know who the skeptic is right away because of their facial expression, the way they sit in their chair, uh, the way they don't speak or the way they challenge you and ask you questions. And those, I love them now. But they're <laughs> actually listening. If you think about it, they're listening to your answers. And they're that's right. Yeah, they're judging. Is this, can I believe this? And, you know, and, 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 and then provided that that same skeptic is the person who does the work, then they turn out to be your biggest fan. Okay. Uh, as far as reading people in general, I mean, look, uh, yeah, when you've been doing something, the same thing, I've been doing the same thing for a long time. 
you know, you, you know, who's going to do the work, you know, who's just trying to please the boss, you know, who's making progress. And then every once in a while, I get really surprised when somebody, yeah, like after the first session, they show up and something's different after the first meeting, I said, Oh my gosh, you did your homework, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so you, you pretty much know after one or two sessions, how, how far this person's going to go. I want our listeners to get to get a boost of confidence, at least a little bit, okay? Um, and I want to encourage people to learn more about the rhythm, about the melody, about the intonation, about the pitch, because that that is a game changer that can really help you sound better in English, more expressive and more articulate. When people come to me, let's say, this is what they say. I want to sound more articulate. I want to be more concise when I speak. I want to be more expressive because I'm a very eloquent speaker in my first language and I can't do the same in a foreign language, even though I have to present to very important audiences. And I tell them you have to start reading out loud and you have to start learning about thought chunking, rhythm, melody, confidence, uh, intonation, tone of voice, all these things. Yes. So if uh, I, I recommend people take your uh, program, which is find your stage with English communication confidence. Is that right? And we're yes. giving 15% off to our listeners, right? We are giving 15% off through the end of February, right? Yeah. Sign up until February 28th, until the end of the month, and you get 15% off. Just click on the link below the video. It's an awesome program. I did it myself. The modules are very well thought through, and I found the answers to my questions. So I hope you can find answers to your questions. So to give you a boost of confidence, I think sometimes it's useful to look at the negative side of things. Like what I mean by that is what will happen if I don't do this? Uh, what will happen if I do this? We've just told you that. And what will happen if I don't do this? So Jill, do you find it difficult to understand non-native speakers who do not stress the words correctly, who do not follow the rhythm, especially when they speak for an extended period of time? Let's say they Perfect. deliver a presentation. Because most people don't realize the impact. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head with both your questions. One, do I understand them when they don't speak with the rhythm? And then you said, especially if they speak for extended period of time. Great question. The answer is, it is so hard to understand people when they don't speak with the correct rhythm. And I think I said this to you earlier, the brain is wired to hear the rhythm of the language. Okay, so if it doesn't hear the rhythm of the language, and this is a native speaker, if I don't hear that syllable contrast, if I don't hear that length on important words, whether you're dramatic or not, doesn't matter, but native speakers have a contrast between stressed and unstressed syllables and stressed and unstressed words. So when you don't do that, my brain has to stay back here in your speech to figure out manager, manager, right? The French will say manager. Instead of what are they saying? Manager. So my brain falls behind in the speech. So that is key to uh, me staying with you, just staying where you are in your message. You mean you stop listening and you stay there to figure out what they said? That's right. I have to, I have to correct it. And it takes me longer to correct the rhythm than it does the shape of a sound. Okay. 
So, okay. So rhythm is important. I get it. So, so, so let's just stay with that word manager, right? Manager, right? So the word in English is manager. Ah, ah, that's the bell. Manager. But let's just say, for example, that they stress the syllable correct, but they change the shape of the vowel to manager, manager. It's still easy for me to correct the eh, manager to ah. I can change that very quickly because they put the stress in the right syllable. Okay. Okay. It's really a matter of pronunciation then, because how you stress words is pronunciation. So if you mispronounce words, if your stress is elsewhere, then it's difficult for native speakers to understand. And the length as well. You mean the contrast, the length of the vowel. Well, the length is the stress, okay? Yeah, many people stress, like, as I said earlier, we also stress words in the Russian language. It's also a stress time language, but we don't stay that long on a stressed syllable. We don't. Okay. That's why okay. When, when Russians learn to, when, when Russians learn the English language, they think they have stressed the word, where in fact, they said manager. Well, they should have said a manager. Right, so right, they, right. They don't realize that it's not enough. They need to stay yeah. there longer, way longer. Right. Yes, which you do beautifully. I had to learn it. <laughs> I had to well, learn you it. Did. Right? You did. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, but I, I just want to show that it's possible to learn it if you really want to learn it. To learn it, it's not that difficult if you focus on that one thing every time you open your mouth and speak. If you focus yes. on the length of your vowels, so concentration level needs to be very high, and your focus needs to be sharp. Good point. Yes, then it's totally possible. So what happens? What happens when people deliver a thirty-minute presentation? Shift in the rhythm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, our brains are also uh, in the habit of every thirty to ninety seconds, we think about something else. Okay, so that's how the brain works. Whether it's listening to a first language or a second language, you know, or a native person speaking or not, doesn't matter. Our brains basically every 30 to 90 seconds start thinking about lunch, our next meeting. Oh my gosh, my child, I forgot to pick her up. <laughs> whatever, um, you know, whatever it is. So that's why giving a presentation, it's so important for you to have that element of drama and that element of exaggeration, storytelling, all of the techniques, anything that's going to grab your audience's attention. Mm -hmm. So that they listen, right? Yeah, yeah. You talked about uh, sometimes clients come to you about, or you mentioned being concise or being clear, right, with the message. That's also something I help people with because, you know, we need to make sure that our message is streamlined especially in a presentation, because we don't want to lose people. We want to make sure we're keeping people where we want them to be. I find that one of the effective ways to hold your audience's attention is to say nothing for a few seconds. Silence works wonders too. Absolutely. And changing the volume, not just higher, but lower. What, what did you just do? Did you change the pitch or the volume? Because that's- I did I did both. First, I said to first, I said to make it higher, and I kind of brought the pitch up as well, okay, or lower, and and so the, the volume. So 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 I did two things when I when I said to bring the the volume higher, I changed the pitch with the word higher as well. So I almost I almost 
I almost changed my volume. I almost didn't change my volume. I just changed my pitch. Yeah, okay. I heard that as well. Yeah. Well, let's say when and you when you give uh, when you ask somebody when you ask a non-native speaker to stress a word and you tell them can you stress this vowel a little bit more what they do they will raise the volume for example melody and they say melody and you tell them can you stress the first syllable a little bit more and they go like melody you know just volume right um was Very there any change in pitch as well you, you also did you did also change your pitch but 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 you used so much volume that it yeah. it, it became hard to listen to but let me, let's take a one syllable word you can say door you can say door door or you can say door right so okay volume or a pitch and for many people pitch is so new probably that what all they do is they say it louder right just right louder I right. guess you have to train your ear to hear that. That's right. And that's where bringing your volume down helps because when your volume's yeah. lower, there's less uh, vibration in the bones in your head. And so it makes it easier to hear. Great. So what exercises can people do to become familiar with the rhythm and to learn to hear that when native speakers speak? Because it's a lot harder to be able to produce this yourself. But what exercises can people do to learn to understand and hear the rhythm? Like the first thing you said, you can reduce your own volume when you speak, right? Mm -hmm. What else can you do? Uh, I like reading poetry. They could be short poems they don't need to be long shakespeare sonnets mm -hmm. or you know or shakespeare's complicated poems right i i think when you especially rhyming poetry i think is very useful so dr. i often seuss? use yeah dr seuss is fantastic dr dr seuss is fantastic and the key with something like that is just choose one page of a Dr. Seuss book. Don't feel like, I mean, you could, you could read the whole book, but it's about mastering small things, mm -hmm. not going, oh, I'm an adult and I'm going to do the whole thing. That, no, just master something small, you know? So I think reading out loud and reading poetry is, is, is really helpful with rhythm because uh, especially with rhyming poetry, they tend to be a rhythm to the line and then there's a, a vowel sound at the end of the line that that rhymes that matches. And there is a lot of exaggeration my favorite yes. is yurtle the turtle and there is a youtube <laughs> video where the narrator reads it beautifully and there's so much exaggeration you can tell they're reading for the kids yeah and i love that exaggeration so that's what i would love to repeat with pleasure Yes, yes, perfect. And, and and so that just goes to whether it's a Dr. Seuss book or a limerick or what have you. Uh, if you don't have kids, uh, you don't have the opportunity to, to actually speak to them or read with them or play with them. But being around children is a great way for you to experiment with your voice. Mm -hmm. okay. Giving yourself that permission. Are there any more exercises that people can do on their own? Uh, I mean, something that I help, I tell people to do all the time uh, for rhythm is to find your technical terms that you use every day, every week at work. It's really important that you master those. So make a list of words. Try to find the sim similar words. So maybe, for example, orientation and calibration. Well, what's the same thing about that? The, the end. The rhyme. The T-I-O-N. Right. And so then we say, well, is there some rule here? Yes, there happens to be calibration, orientation. The rule is before the shun, we stress 
and that's rhythm. Okay. So you want to find as many words as you can in your sphere of, in your profession. You want to start to itemize them. You can put them in lists of how are they similar. And then you can start to see if there are rules associated with the rhythm of those words. Uh, If not, you just listen to them. For example, on a dictionary.com, you go to a website, some kind of dictionary website, and you listen for the rhythm. That's a creative exercise. Yeah. I love those. I love creating exercises for myself. And if you want to dive even deeper, you want to say those words, come to your coach and get get feedback on how you did. Absolutely. Yeah. And record yourself and listen to yourself. Get familiar with your voice. That's true. Jill, thank you for such a fantastic conversation. Everybody who is listening who wants to take Jill's program, remember to click on the link below. You get 15% off her amazing program. And if you want to give any final message to those people who are listening and people who are listening, they are looking for strategies to improve their English skills independently, to do something creative, something that is in line with their nature, with their character, with their personality, something that they can do apart from just following a certain textbook, because they have probably done so many courses. They have right. so many language schools, but they still want more they still need confidence in English. If you have any final message for them. I do, I do. You know, you have to surround yourself with like-minded people. And what does that mean? You wanna surround yourself with people who are passionate about English, who are passionate about communicating. So you wanna find some kind of club, some kind of place where you can practice communicating amongst people who also have the same desire to be confident in English, to communicate well, to to, uh, improve their career, right? You wanna surround yourself with people. So I would say find some kind of club, whether it's a Toastmasters or whether it's My English Communication Club, which is another option, Uh, but you wanna be around people where you can practice the language all the time. It's funny that you mentioned that because I I launched a new community of practice this year where it's all about the creative exercises. I just do these exercises myself and people who want to practice with me, they just come and choose the workout that they want to do today with me. Uh-huh. It's, it really helps. It really helps. That's great. Good. So you've got some options. Exactly. We have options. <laughs> but I, for, for the best results, you want feedback from someone more experienced, from someone who totally. understand you. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been nice to know you these, these last six months, and I appreciate you in, inviting me here today. I'm very happy you joined the conversation, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> yes, we will.